your peppermint nog, your Nagasaki, your hog nog. You got a little goat nog, 100% Colombiano nog. You got your uh, bed nogs and broomsticks. We got the Naga Prague. Nog you like a hurricane. Merry Christmas! Hey, would you sing me a Christmas carol? <laughs> nog of seagulls. Two nogs don't make it right. And, uh, oh, what was it? it was the, uh, oh, the Wizard of Nog. Our German friends celebrate Nogtoberfest every year. And our comrades in Russia uh, enjoy a nice cognog here and there. Today we're going to look at the carol Away in a Manger. It was first published in 1885 in a Lutheran hymn book. And there's a lot of controversy about who wrote at least the first couple of stanzas. Uh, a lot of people think that because it was put in the Lutheran hymnal that uh, Martin Luther wrote it, the, the founder of the modern Reformation, uh, the Great Reformation. But after more study, most uh, scholars believe that someone else wrote it. They just can't agree on whom it was who wrote the thing. So there's mystery surrounding who wrote the first few stanzas of this. But there's no mystery that for over 120 years, this uh, carol has touched the hearts of people. So I want you to enjoy this version of it.
pretty sweet, huh? How many of you enjoyed that song as you were a kid growing up? And we still enjoy that song. There's a phrase that's used over and over again, and I want to focus on this phrase today. And my hope is that from now on, when you hear that song, maybe as you worship to that song, that, that maybe God's Spirit will jolt your memory and your heart back to this day so that you can be in alignment with what God's purpose is for who Jesus is, for what He wants Jesus to be in your life. And that phrase is, the little Lord Jesus. It's used over and over again. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when, when I hear the little Lord Jesus, I tend to think of this. Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, we... um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist. Paul was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the brace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row. Hey, Cal. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money. I think that Ricky Bobby likes the baby Jesus best because the baby Jesus doesn't do anything. You know, dear tiny baby Jesus with your fat little balled up fist, don't even know a word yet, but still omnipotent. You know, that... I think he likes that Jesus because that Jesus doesn't demand anything of, of us. But we know that when Jesus grew up, when he became 30 and he had his ministry until he was 33, that he turned the world upside down. And Jesus started saying some things to us that, that a lot of people don't like. So I want to I focus today. I'm not dissing the song. I love the song. We'll still sing the song. But I, when you hear that phrase, I want you to think about not the size of Jesus, but who God created him to be. And so the, the key to this whole message is on your listening guide. This is it. Jesus is Lord. There's no little Lord. There's no such thing as little Lord. Jesus is Lord. So I want everybody to say that just so that you get it. I want you to remember on the count of three, everybody say Jesus is Lord. Ready? One, two, three. That was the best you've ever done in crowd participation. 740 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as Lord. So what I want to do is I want to look at one of the most quoted verses from Luke chapter 2 that, that's about this whole Christmas story. And I want to see how the very first time that Jesus is talked about at, in the flesh, he is described as the Savior of the world. He is Christ the Lord. Watch what the angel says to um, 
the shepherds who were watching the flocks at night. Luke 2, verse 10. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I am bringing you good news that will be a great joy to all people. Today your Savior was born in the town of David. He is, he is who? He is Christ the Lord. The news they had been taught for thousands of years. They had been taught. The Jews had been taught that there is going to be a Savior. He's going to come. He's Messiah. He is Christ the Lord. So at the very beginning, we see that this is established. The Son of God is born. He's the Savior of the world. He's Christ the Lord. So the big question today is, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to you if Jesus Christ is Lord? What does it mean in our marriages? If we're married, what does it mean Jesus is Lord to my marriage? If we're dating, what does it mean in our dating lives that Jesus Christ is Lord? What does it mean uh, if we're if we're in school and we're taking finals? What does it mean Jesus Christ is Lord in my finals? What does it mean Jesus is Lord when we're buying Christmas presents? Can Jesus be Lord in our Christmas shopping? According to scripture, he should be. What does it mean to make Jesus as Lord? Jesus Lord. Now, in your uh, listening guide, there's a little word. It's a Greek word, and it's translated as Lord. It's the word kurios. Say that. Kurios. And this word means supreme in authority. <clears throat> Excuse me. Controller, Lord. Supreme in authority, controller, Lord. This, this idea is he is the one who's in charge. Now, the middle one there, the word controller, is going to be a problem for most of us. Because if Jesus is the controller, he's going to have some competition in you and I because we like to be in control, don't we? Thankfully, I don't have that problem. As long as everybody does what I say and and just follows my directions, we have no issues whatsoever, right? So maybe I do have a little bit of problem. But, But let me ask you. How many of you think you should be the one to drive whenever you go somewhere because nobody else can drive as well as you can? You have control issues. That's a, that's a West one there too. By the way, how many of you think that you should control the remote control? Because no one else can do it right. That's another West one. I, don't you notice how I, I pick out Wes's stuff and I talk about Wes uh, when, we're, when I'm preaching? So this, this old idea is that, that we all have control issues. Now, how many of you are list makers? I mean, you make a list. All right. You list makers. Here's the message that you project, project to the rest of us. Don't jack with my list. It's on the list. It has been written. It will be done, right? Because you're control people. Nothing wrong with lists, but I'm just telling you, sometimes life doesn't follow your list. Others of you, it's your kids. I want my kids to do what I want when I want them to do it. For example, Christmas is coming up. And, and my kids, they're going to get up and, and they'll come down to open presents and their hair will be brushed and they will not be fighting. And, and we'll read Luke chapter two and the glory of the heavens will just fill the room and everything will be perfect. Right. Yeah. Some of you get ticked off if that doesn't happen. It's because you're trying to be in control. When things don't go our way, we try to be in control. So what does this really mean? Jesus is the supreme authority. He's the controller. He's Lord. And I don't want to make you uh, feel kind of uncomfortable today, but, but I've got some news for you. You don't make Jesus Lord. I don't get to make him Lord. God already did that. He already occupies the office of Lord. What you and I do is we surrender to what's already true. We bow the knee and we say, I recognize that I'm not in control and I'm going to bow and give my life to the only one who really is in control. Surrender means I acknowledge what's already true. 
And really, there's a lot of surrendering that's already going on, but I'm not sure it's the right type of surrendering. There's, there's the first one on your listening guide. <clears throat> James, do you mind getting me a cup of water? Should have brought one up here. Uh, the partially surrendered life. Now, this is where the majority of Christians live, American Christians live. In other parts of the world, you go anywhere that there's any type of persecution for, for being a Christ follower, and you'll find devotion to Christ, devotion to God that would put us to shame. Uh, even in Haiti, when we go to Haiti, they're not persecuted for believing in Jesus Christ. Um, but I'll tell you this, it is some of the most severe economic Hardship that I've ever seen in my life. I've been to a lot of third world countries. I've heard that, that Haiti is supposedly like the second poorest uh, country in, in our hemisphere in, in this part of the world. But if there's a poorer economy than Haiti, I don't know what it is. But when, when we go there, every time first timers get there, we're up on the third floor at this church at Cote Plage. And, and we'll get up because you're going to get up. They say, oh, we're coming. Thank you, sir. Yes, Kleenex. I'm, I'm struggling up here. But I will turn my uh, microphone off. In case I blow my nose. <clears throat> That's just no fun. Um, <clears throat> I guess it's fun for you. It's no fun for me. When you're standing up at the third floor, you're looking out the window. You're going to be up about 5 o'clock in the morning because it just gets loud in Haiti. But the first year I was standing there and I saw thousands of people dressed nicely, hair combed, walking. And so, you know, we just asked, where are they going? They said, to church. Well, what time does church start in Haiti? 6 a.m. Some people walk miles, several miles to attend church. The highest attended service that they have is 6 a.m. This last year, we had lots of traffic problems. We didn't get there until late at night, so they let us sleep in. And we went to the 9 a.m. service at Cote Plage, and it's about half full. The 6 a.m. service, it spills out into the road. People are standing outside in tents. They have... Um, uh, speakers outside and people are it. That kind of puts me to shame because in, in East Texas in all the churches I've been in, there's this epidemic of something I call casual Christians who struggle to make it at 11 a.m. I mean, really, it's not hard to get to church at 11, right? It's not. If it's a priority, you find out. And I, I'm not saying you have to get here right on time. I know some of y'all are the ones that soon, we're closing the doors and you're running in. I'm okay with that. I'm just saying that maybe we need to look at our priorities and figure out what this really means. The partially surrendered life is epidemic, and Jesus has a message for people who are partially surrendered. Partially surrendered folks say, well, I believe in God, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. So um, here's what Jesus says in, in Luke 6, 46. Why do you keep on saying that I'm your Lord when you refuse to do what I say? Jesus has a, a real straightforward question. You call me Lord, but you don't act like I'm Lord. You act like you're an atheist. Jesus says, I don't want you playing games. Now, here's the game, and I want you to see if you play this game, or maybe someone you know plays this game. I believe Jesus is Lord. I'm just going to do whatever I want to in any situation that I don't agree with Jesus. So, for example... <clears throat> I know that, that the Bible says when it comes to relationships that I'm supposed to forgive people who have hurt me. But you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how badly they've hurt me. So where it says forgive people, I'm not doing that. You know that it says, there are people say, well, I believe that, that Jesus wants me to only date and marry Christ followers. 
But, but if I only date and marry Christ followers, that narrows the field. And, and do you know what that's going to do to me? So when it comes to dating people that are Christ followers, I'm not doing that. You know, the Bible says that, that we're supposed to be devoted to Christ, which means you're going to be devoted to the bride of Christ, which is the church. So I know the Bible says I'm supposed to give God part of my time. Well, I'll give God time occasionally, maybe, maybe one Sunday out of four. I don't know. I'll give God some of my time. But, you know, when it comes to Friday nights, Saturday nights, no, no, you can't have my time there. If I'm not too tired on Sunday, I'll come, but, but I'm not giving you the rest of my time. I'm just not going to do that. I know the Bible says that when it comes to my money, I'm not supposed to go into crazy debt. I know I'm supposed to give 10%. The Bible says I'm supposed to give 10% of my income. But 10%, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm not doing that. I know that the Bible says these things, but I'm just not going to do those things. And some of you think I'm going to be struck by lightning because I'm ripping out the pages of the Bible. You're ready to, to head out. Let me remind you, what I've done here is I've just taken ink and paper and I've ripped it out of here. But most Christians I know rip up the laws of God by the way that they live. They ignore them. Oh, sure, I believe the Bible, but I'm just not going to follow it. Then you don't really believe the Bible. And in the Old Testament, God said all the time, He said, you people, because when they were sad or repentant or whatever in the Old Testament, they would actually tear their clothes. They would put on sackcloth, which is really rough, to remind them that they had messed up before God, and they'd put ashes on their head, and they would sit around and mourn. And God says, I would rather you rip your hearts in repentance than to rip your clothes. And so what God is saying is, maybe we need to examine our lives and quit calling him Lord if we're not going to do what he says. It's the partially surrendered life. And I've printed for you on your listening, guys. We're going to put this up on the screen. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is from the the partially surrendered version of the Bible. So it may sound a little different to you. Trust in the Lord with, with how much of your heart? Some of your heart. And lean on what? Your own understanding. In how many of your ways? Some of your ways acknowledge him. And when your life is totally messed up, you can what? Make your own path straight. Now, if you're new to church, let me just say, this is not the real version, okay? This is the perverted version. This is what most people do. Billy Graham once said that three-fourths of the people who attend church in America are going to hell. That's a scary thought. And it's because, I think, it's because we're really just partially surrendered. This is the man-inspired version, not the God-inspired version. What you have to understand is Jesus isn't a part-time Lord and he doesn't want part-time followers. When you come to him, he asks you to give him your whole life. He says, you want to follow me? Take up your cross daily and follow me. Cross-carrying doesn't sound very nice. Do you know what cross-carrying means? It means I do whatever God asks me to do, whether I like it or not. Jesus cried out to God and he said, if it's possible, God... Let this cup pass for me when he was in the garden. And he said, but not my will. Your will be done. The Bible says that Jesus despised the shame of the cross, but he went there anyway. And he's our example. We're supposed to be radically obedient. And, and so, you know, if, if he is Lord, then he gets to say what's right and what's wrong. 
He gets to make up the rules and I just follow whatever he tells me to do. He's the controller, he's the Lord, and I come under his lordship. It's not I pick and choose. Hey, I like this, keep me out of hell, but I'm going to live like hell whenever I want to and then I'm just going to expect you to put your blessing on me. No, God says, "Uh uh-uh, I don't do that. He's very, very serious. Why do you call me Lord, but you refuse to do what I say? So here's what I want you to do. We're going to take a moment. I'm going to describe a few things, but we're going to take a moment. And I'm going to ask you to be gut-wrenchingly honest before the Lord today. And the question that you're going to ask, God, is there any area of my life that I've not surrendered to you? And so let me just describe a couple of things. It could be different stuff. Um, I want you to be very open. Some of you, it might be, I'm going to trust you, God, with everything except my children, but I cannot trust you with my children. And that may be what God's asking you to surrender to him. Could be your future. I've got it all lined up. I'm going to do this. I've got, I'm going to go to this college. I'm going to get this degree. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to get married at this time. And if I don't, God, then you're not really in this because God, if you really love me, you put your stamp on my plan. Some of you could be a relationship. I know I'm dating someone who is not a Christ follower. But I love him. And I can change him. So I'm not giving you my dating life, God. I don't think you're big enough to handle my dating life. What is it that you've not surrendered to the Lord? So just for a second, close your eyes and ask God, what is it in my life that I've not surrendered to you? I kind of figure that if you're honest enough to ask the question, God's going to reveal it to you. So maybe you need to get real honest. God doesn't want partially surrendered people. So the alternative is, number two, the fully surrendered life. The fully surrendered life is the exception in the church when it should not be. The fully surrendered life should be normal in the church. This is all in, not kind of a Sunday Christian, not kind of when it's convenient, but full on holding nothing back. My life does not belong to me. God, if you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. That's the type of commitment. Paul said it this way in Romans 14, 7. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you are living? Praise God, about 50% of you are living. We have a prayer service at the end. We've got a prayer time at the end. If you need to know how to pray to live, we'll... Now, come on. How many of you are living right now? You're breathing. All right, praise God. Most of you are now living. According to this verse, why do we live? Who's it to honor if you're alive? The Lord. If you die, who is it to honor? The Lord. If you're a Christ follower, to whom do you belong? The kurios, the Lord, the supreme in command... Our life is not our own. When we surrender to his lordship, we belong to him. 8,045 days from today, previously, 8,045 days ago, on December 7th, 1990, I asked Janie if she would be mine. And she said yes. And I gave her, I got a picture back there, Miriam. I gave her this ring. Now, how much did that ring cost her? 
Nothing. That cost me as much as a 26-year-old youth minister could afford. It's the most expensive gift I've ever given in my life. But what did it cost Janie? Nothing. Now, 7,876 days ago, May 25th, 1991, we stood before God. She gave her life to me. I gave my life to her. We now belong to each other. At that point, what did it cost her to wear that ring? Everything, her heart. She belongs to me. I belong to her. We belong to the Lord. And some of you are going, she, she doesn't belong to you. What? Don't give me that male chauvinist trash. She belongs to me. Try to touch her. I'll kill you. All right? I belong to her. If I decide to go table dancing with a bunch of young girls, can I do that? Not for long. Why? Because she's going to remind me, you belong to me, sucker. She will kill me. Or, or damage me severely. This ring didn't cost me anything. It was her gift to me. The ring that she wears didn't cost her anything. It was my gift to her. But when we said before God, we surrender to you, God, and we surrender to one another, it radically changed us, and we now belong to one another. I don't do anything without asking my wife her opinion. She doesn't do anything without asking. And we don't control each other. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for God. And so I, I consult my wife. Oh, well, aren't you? I'm as independent as you can be, dudes. But I realize that I've got to be under God's authority. And part of being under God's authority is there are times that I say to Janie, what do you think about this? She goes, ooh, I don't know about that. And if I don't listen to her, then I can make a huge mistake because God has given her wisdom in areas he hasn't given me. It, it, that's how marriage is supposed to work. Well, when Jesus shed his blood on the cross for you, he offered you the possibility of salvation, of being saved from your sins. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not as a result of works, so that no man can boast. It is a free gift of God to you. But it's the most costly gift that I've ever received. It cost Jesus Christ his life. He gave up the glory of heaven, put on skin, lived this sinless life, and then he got spat upon. He got beaten. He got stabbed by his creations. So that you and I might have the opportunity for salvation. So Jesus says, if you want salvation... I want your life in return. It's an all or nothing deal. You don't get to say, okay, I want you to save me and later you'll be my Lord. No, he says, Lord is the one issue. If I'm your Lord, then salvation is part of that. So you surrender to that. That's why when I read the scriptures, I've been reading a lot in the Old Testament. And I'm just shaking my head as I read the Old Testament because I see time after time, this is the pattern, people get close to God, and then they turn their backs on God, and God sends somebody to, to tell them, some prophet, and says, oh, watch out, God's going to destroy you if you do not repent. Sometimes people repent, and God says, oh, like in, in uh, the story of Jonah, this I just read this week. <clears throat> Jonah goes and preaches to Nineveh, Nineveh repents. 100,000 people get saved. 100 years later, 
God sends another prophet to Nineveh because they didn't teach their children. And they were just as vile, just as as sin-filled as they'd been before. God sent another prophet to them 100 years later. And he said, God's going to destroy you. And they said, yeah, whatever. God destroyed them because they didn't teach their children. People didn't know. And so it scares me because what I see in the scripture, people turning their backs on God and just disregarding the things of God, I see today. I see in this church, I see in in this community, I see in our nation. God's not always going to be patient. Eventually, our sins will come back and haunt us. So, Jesus is more than just the dear little baby God in your golden fleece diapers. (laughs) He's the soon returning, conquering, reigning, ruling, supreme in authority, coming back with a sword. And the name on the sword says he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he means business. Don't just say I belong to Christ and do whatever you want. He's the supreme, ruling, reigning king of the universe. And if you're a Christ follower, your life does not belong to you. It belongs to him. Here's the real version of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We're told to trust in the Lord with how much of our heart? All of it. And we're told to lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, what are we to do? Acknowledge him. If you have your listening guide, circle that word acknowledge, because we're going to talk about that for just a second. Acknowledge him. And the result of all that will be that he will make your path straight. Now, this word acknowledge, I'm not a big fan, because the original uh, language, Hebrew, it's the word yada. And it's translated... A better translation is no. And it's the same word used in Genesis. I remember as a kid, we used the King James Version, and it said that God created Adam, then he created Eve. And, and then any time that, that there was this coming together sexually of the, of the man and the woman, it said that, that Adam knew Eve and she conceived. It's, it's this idea of the most intimate of knowledge. It's this idea of a relationship that's closer than any other relationship. It is to no one. And here's a better way that this should be translated. In all your ways, know him, and then he will make your path straight. So the bottom line is, the reason some of us don't trust God in some areas of our lives is because we don't know him in that area. We've never experienced him in that area. To know him is to know that he's the ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful God, and he's good in every way. And not only is he some far off powerful God, which is what the Muslims say, that he's this powerful God, but he really doesn't care about you. No, according to scripture, he's he's all powerful and he means business, but he also came as a baby because nobody's afraid of the baby. And he came to be one of us to show us how to have true life. And so I can know him, you can know him, and we can relate to him in a very special way. If there's any area you're not trusting God in, it's because you do not know him in that area. To know him is to love him. To know him is to trust him. Now, here's, here's the scary version. If, if you don't know God and you're not trusting him in certain areas, here's a very scary message that Jesus Christ has for you today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is just right after Jesus said... There's a broad road that leads to destruction, and many people are on it. Most people are on it. This is, you know, we did this weird series last year, and said weird is, we're weird because normal isn't working. We said, Jesus said, there's a very narrow road that leads to real life, and very few are the people who are on it. Right after that, he says this, 
Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. They were partially surrendered. And here's how I know, because look what Jesus says. But I will reply, I never, what's that word? I never knew you. We were never in relationship. And then he says this, get away from me, you who break God's laws. In our world, it would be, well, didn't I go to church occasionally? You know, there was that one time that the dude was ringing that red, that bell and there's that red kettle outside the mall. And I threw some change in there. Didn't, didn't I do that? God, didn't I, didn't I help the lady cross the street? Wasn't I a good person? I went to Haiti, Lord. How much more dedicated can you be? And God's going to say, here's the problem. I wasn't your Lord on earth when you had the opportunity to accept me as Lord, to, to, to surrender to what was already true. You rejected me on earth. And so I'm going to honor your request in heaven. You refuse to follow me on earth. You want to live a life excluded from me. That's your choice. But you're also going to live excluded from me for eternity in a place called hell. Because it's all or nothing. Verse 23, Jesus says, I never knew you. You gave me lip service, but we didn't know each other. There's no intimacy. You called me Lord, but you didn't do what I said. He's no part-time Lord. He doesn't want part-time followers. He gave us the free gift of eternal life. And that free gift, the only reasonable response to that offer of salvation and living forever in a place called heaven, the only reasonable response is, here's every bit of my life. I want you to think about what it is you're trying to control that you won't let go of. And I'm hoping that today will be the day that you say, God, I release it to you. Because you're my Lord. Would you bow your heads? Father, I pray today that you would speak to us in a way that only you can. And that there would be lives and relationships and families and marriages that are transformed because of the goodness and the grace of your Son. That we would surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And I ask you again, what have you not surrendered to the Lord? Are you going to keep holding on to it? Or is December 16th, 2012, a day of freedom for you? And a day of entering into the kingdom of God? If you want to surrender right now, you say, God, here it is. Here's my issue. This is what I've not surrendered. I'm laying it at the foot of the cross. I know I'm going to be tempted to pick it up again, but I'm, as best I know how, I'm going to turn over control. If you've never received Christ, if you're not in the kingdom of God, the Bible's real clear. It says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you say, Jesus, I acknowledge that you are Lord And I surrender my life to you. I don't know everything, but the best I know how, I give you my life. 
If you did that, today is your spiritual birthday. And the Bible says there are angels in heaven who are rejoicing right now. Lord God, change us and make us into fully devoted followers of Christ, fully surrendered followers of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your registration cards, if you would. Fill those out. And on the back, I want you to be real honest. And whatever it is that you that God brought to your mind that you're struggling with surrendering, write that on the back. If you have any prayer concerns, put that on there. If today was the first day that you've surrendered your life to Christ, put that on there. I prayed and I surrendered to Christ. And we want to rejoice with you. We have three baskets in the back. Our joy basket. It's where we take up our offerings. Uh, we have a registration card basket. Obviously, you put those in there. If you have any prayer concerns, write those on there. Uh, I'll be praying for you during the, the holidays. Um, oh, by the way, we do have a, a church service on the 30th. All right? We've, we've In the past, the past several years, we've not had church the last Sunday of the year. We are having church on December 30th. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. Third basket is the bagel basket. Trying to get out of debt. Everything goes in there is trying to get us out of debt as quickly as possible. That was a happy Christmas sermon, right? Next week, we're talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And I promise you'll leave happier. You're dismissed.